I think we've all heard the expression, a house is not a home. What makes a home? It's people. It's relationship, isn't it? It's loving relationship. And loving relationship, the word loving is really important because we know that uh, if we're going home and there is conflict, who wants to go home? Nobody. So I'm talking to you this morning about serving Jesus. This is a profoundly biblical theme, beginning to end. And I'm going to make a couple of references to a couple of scriptures that are not part of my presentation, but they are, in effect, part of my, oh, by the way, that's some grandkids, my wife, Queen Victoria's lion, and Chevy, who's now gone to dog heaven. So, thankful for the privilege, of course, that God has given us to be custodian of such a wonderful creature who has taught me many lessons. Still not on. Well, good. We'll get, let somebody else who knows what they're doing <laughs> handle the thing. So, it's not wanting to go on, is it? Okay, how about that? Try that. Oh, look at that. Okay. A house is not a home. It is relationship, loving relationships that make a home. This last week was a fairly intense time of helping somebody. And I was feeling a little bit used. Ever felt like that? I was feeling a little bit used. You know, I'm supposed to serve Jesus, serve others, and here I'm doing this, and I'm not feeling appreciated. <laughs> and so I was getting a bit into a poor me kind of mentality. Ever been there? And so I said to the other person, this is how I feel. It is not right, I said, but this is how I am feeling. I was confessing in effect, you see. And the other person, who happens to be Muslim, said, but you will have reward in heaven. Thanks. <laughs> Ever felt like that? Yeah. Okay. So when the kids are bad, Julie, reward in heaven. Oh, yeah, Lord, thanks. <laughs> well, that is true, too, yes. <laughs> and, and so I'm afraid I was not entirely kind, but I was frank in saying, yeah, but uh, what kind of reward? You see, the essence of the reward that God gives us is not things. What's he going to give me? What's he going to give me that's going to make it okay for what I experienced this week? More things? And so you understand the context in which I'm saying. So what's God going to do? Give me four, 40 virgins? How's that going to help? That sounds like 40 times the trouble. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But, but you see, it's not sensual pleasure. 
that makes heaven heaven. What is it? Our relationship with the living God. And so when we are storing up treasure in heaven, what we're actually doing is in the process of enriching that experience. That's what we're actually doing. And so when you read the scriptures with this kind of eye, you will understand something about the nature of the rewards that await us. So two scriptures, okay? One is in the very last chapter. And I refer to it because it has the word servant in it as well. In which we are told, no longer will there be any curse. Amen. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. All right. So what are we going to be doing for eternity? Serving. Good. You're following with me. That's good. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord our God will give them light. Who is our light in eternity? The Lord. You see? And in John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus makes it explicit as to the nature of eternal life. 17 verse 3. He says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is that? Relationship. Loving relationship with the living God. And if you're not interested in that, you're not interested in heaven. Because it's all about relationship. But let me tell you, what makes life worth living right now? Not the mass of wealth that you've accumulated. Right? Some of you guys are saying fat chance, right? <laughs> that, but that's not what makes life worthwhile. It's the relationships that nourish your soul, that make life worth living. Sometimes, in order to find those relationships, we reach back into our past and we say, wasn't that a time? So a little while ago, we had a seniors meeting in which a seniors fellowship, and this silly cord is bothering me for some reason, I don't know why, Next thing I know, I'll feel like I'm being hanged or something. But anyway, and there was a wonderful time of reminiscing. And I listened to the recordings. You remember the jerry-rigged little uh, microphone that we were using? And so I've listened to them all, taken notes out of them all, have incorporated them into a rewrite of the history of Huron Chapel. But I want to tell you that there was that sense of, wasn't that a time? And I have been knit together. By the way, I was given something by Ron Curl, which is coming to Huron Chapel. And some of you will know the name Ron Curl from the early days. And this is another thing. Anybody recognize that place? So that's uh, from Ron Curl. And this book. And it's got some interesting pictures. There's a young fella and a young lady in this. 
and it looks like a wedding picture of somebody called Mr. and Mrs. David Rogers. Lots of other interesting things in here. But you see, when we were in this uh, gathering that we had the other night, it was John Stahl who had brought what? Picture book. Lots of photographs. And it was this sense of, wasn't that a great time? When we were feeling connected and purposeful, and we had joy in our service. And so we look back in order to identify those times. But those are, as it were, only foretastes of what awaits us. And of the privilege we have even now. So I'm going to talk about serving Jesus and the road to blessing. Because, you see, the Lord Jesus said very specifically in the passage that was read for us by Pastor Rob, that you will be blessed if you do these things, if you serve the way Jesus did. So what in the world did he do? Now, Mr. Calvin, would you come on up? Calvin! Neil, come on on! All right. I like your tie. Can you actually play it? No. No, okay. Okay, can you all see? Maybe step right over here, okay? And turn towards me, okay? My first time in India, I had people who were coming up to me and doing this. And I had others who would even go and do this. Now, that's about as far as I can go without needing a chiropractic appointment. But, okay, what do you think about that? I don't know. You don't know? It's a little weird, isn't it? Okay, that's it. <laughs> you won the prize. The prize is you don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really quite understand it. It seemed to be some kind of a show of respect. But uh, I didn't quite understand the significance of it until a subsequent trip in which my chauffeur, because where I was, they assigned me a chauffeur because somehow they didn't trust me to walk around or something. I don't know. But they wouldn't even let me open gates or carry my own luggage or anything like that. And uh, so I'm talking to the chauffeur and he speaks Hindi. I'm trying to learn a little bit of Hindi. So I would point to this, and he would say the Hindi word, and I would repeat it, and this would go on. And I bent down to touch his shoe. And it was as though I had touched him with a cattle prod, an electric cattle prod, because he jumped back. Don't do that! Just like that. Weird, weird. But you see, in their culture, and a lot of Eastern and Middle Eastern cultures, the, the foot is the lowest extremity, but also the lowest part. And if you, are, if you touch the foot, touch the lower leg, you are actually placing yourself beneath them. 
And so socially in India, it was inappropriate for me, because I was considered to be higher up the totem pole, to touch his feet. And so in the uh, graphic, I don't know if you can see it there, it's a little dark, but it's uh, a uh, drawing out of uh, the Robinson Crusoe book. And you'll remember that the fellow who came to be known as Friday was uh, feeling very much at the mercy of Robinson Crusoe. What does he do? I don't know if you can quite see it, but he's actually pulled the foot of Robinson Crusoe on the back of his neck and wrapped his arm around it to show his obeisance, his submission to. All right? And so we need to understand this if we're going to understand John 13 properly. Because for us, we often say, well, it's because feet are dirty and stinky and so on. No. It's because Jesus was doing something that was socially disruptive and demeaning. It was unthinkable that somebody who was their master, their teacher, should take this lowly place. And that's why one of the translations at least translates verse 1 as saying, He now showed them the full extent of his love by willing to take this humiliating role to do this humiliating act, which actually presages what would happen subsequently at the cross. Because that was humiliation on a whole other level, you see. And so what the Lord Jesus is demonstrating for us is the very attitude of a servant. There is no place for standing on pride. Some of you will know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, well known as a writer, Lutheran pastor during the world, Second World War, who was uh, murdered, executed, shortly before the end of the war, who also took part in an attempt to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler. But he would say, as a believer, you give up your rights. That's how you get things right. You give up your rights. Now, none of us like that, right? But let me tell you, that's exactly what we have the Lord Jesus modeling for us. He's not going to stand on his rights. And so the question is, how are we going to show ourselves to the one who has said to us, I am your master, your teacher, and rightly so, but I have modeled something for you that you are to do. And if you do it, you will be blessed. Let me ask you a question right off. Could it be that we're stuck on receiving the blessing of God because we refuse to accept this role? Could be, right? And as I say, this last week was a little tough for me because I was feeling... I've given so much. Time, energy, it's cost me money. Oy. And I'm saying I'm not being appreciated. 
And then this come back, well, you'll be rewarded in heaven. And that actually helped me to refocus and to understand that it is a, about my relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's what counts. And so suddenly I wasn't feeling so bad about myself. And I actually rediscovered some joy in what I was continuing to have to do. Isn't that wonderful when God does that for us? So let's see if I can get unstuck here on the screen. Okay. Serving is at the blessing of our walk with Jesus. You don't want to serve. You don't want to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. You don't want to serve. You are not interested in following Jesus. You're doing your own thing. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Tough words, but let me tell you, if you want transformation to happen, accept these words. You will be blessed if you do them. What is too much? What is too much? He who gave his life for me. I came to the Lord in 1964. I was a young teenager. And it was at that point where, by the grace of God, I resolved, well, if the Lord was good enough to die for me, then I should live for him. And I've tried to do that. 1964, you do the math, that makes me a little more than 23. Let's understand that Jesus came to serve. He tells us very explicitly. So this is in Matthew chapter 20. And the... Uh, mother of James and John has come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want you, when you come into your kingdom, to put James and John on your left hand and right hand. And the Lord gives a mild rebuke to her, but then he points out the error, the mistake in this, that instead of wanting the high place to lord it over and to be like the pagan rulers not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant do you know these words am i preaching to the converted i hope so i know so but we all need reminders and whoever wants to be first must be your what Slave, ah, that hurts. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll put myself out a little bit, but slave? Wash somebody's feet? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is the supreme service of our Lord. And it's as simple as this. We cannot love Jesus without serving him. And we cannot serve Jesus unless we are also serving others. The Lord Jesus tied loving God and loving others together inextricably. He is the only one to have done so. And it has shaped the last 2,000 years of human history. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, but it is the reality. And quite frankly, would you want it any other way? I sure wouldn't. Even though others may not choose to walk in this way. I want to see that back in the Old Testament there are already clear indications of the linkage between love and service. 
So this is Deuteronomy 6, which many of us know well, because this is the so-called Shema, which begins in verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. But then as the Lord continues to speak through Moses, his servant, he says, Fear the Lord your God. Next word, serve him only. Loving God and serving God are inextricably linked. We cannot love God without serving him. These are, in effect, two sides of the same coin. And you'll see that there are a number of words that are really interlinked. To love and to obey. The uh, foresaying of the way of Jesus, I am learning to love God and to love others. Long version, I am learning to love God by obeying him and to love others by serving them. You cannot possibly love somebody without serving them. You got kids? You know that. You got a husband? You know that. Man? You got a wife? Be prepared to serve. It's a little tougher for some of us. But it's true. And then this other word, fear, that you see, and this is about a profound respect for God that you know that there is no negotiating on this. And when God says something, it's important. Now, most of us have actually a pretty good sense of this fear in our employment context, because we don't fool around. We're serious, because we know that there are consequences. And we say, don't go there, right? And so God is saying to us, don't go there. You want to walk in your own way? Don't go there. But it's not because we're cringing. It's because we know that this is the only good way to go forward. Serving is, in fact, part of life. None of us can go through life without serving, in some way or other. That's just the reality. So instead of trying to avoid it, recognize that it's part of life, and then instead of doing your best to avoid serving, do your best to serve, and then discover that God is actually smiling on you, and embrace it as a gift. And it's so much better, isn't it? It's so much better. Now, this for me is one of the most powerful passages, because here he is talking about, uh, this is Paul giving instructions on how to slaves who are now following Jesus are to behave towards their masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but what? With sincerity of heart and reverence, fear for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Boy. Doesn't sound, that sound like good therapy for the workplace? Some of us have pretty stinking jobs, right? At least we think so. But this is really therapy. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
So, Julie, when you're having a wonderful day with the kids, lift your eyes up a little bit, right? And remember, it's the Lord Christ you are serving when you are dealing with the kids, right? That's the reality. This is the beautiful thing about the gift that God gives us in, in putting him first. Because it transforms what we are experiencing, you see? So it's not, no longer just, oh, i got to get through the drudge and the grind. When we make serving others our greatest goal, and we make it an offering to the Lord, it transforms our experience, doesn't it? So you and I have had that kind of experience where we've had those kind of dread jobs, drudge jobs. You may be in one. You may feel like you're stuck in one. Remember the slaves of Colossians 3. Okay? Make your service an offering to the Lord and feel the deep satisfaction of the king saying, well done. Well done. And sometimes we're not appreciated by our fellows very well, whether in the family or at school or in the workplace. And maybe somebody doesn't know how hard we worked and how much we put into something. And they come along and then they criticize us. Ever happen? Yeah. But remember, you are serving the Lord. And what does he say? When you've done your best, when you've given your best, what does he say? Well done. Well done. And you keep your bearings by keeping Jesus first. That's the only way that I know to keep your bearings. So we come back to John 13, 17. Are you still with me? Okay. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. End of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Two little parables about the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the wise man who built his house upon the rock that stood firm is the one who heard the words of Jesus and did them. Not interested in doing them? Don't expect that this is going to work for you. It ain't. It's only in our obedience that we discover the power of the teaching of Jesus. And we discover that the spirit of Jesus actually comes to transform our experience. So this is also the way to anchor your good service so that it counts forever. There's so much good that's done that simply floats away on the waters. Because it's not anchored where it needs to be anchored to actually build the beauty of the kingdom of God and to see the grand design of God's glory and God's blessing on the earth. But this is the way we anchor it. And we are all part of that building process. So when we do a good job with our kids, when we do a good job fixing that ornery car, when we do a good job just caring for someone else in their grief, in their sorrow. When we bake a batch of cookies. Now the Lord Jesus reminds us that we can't serve two ma masters. This is Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. 
and neither we will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money stands in for everything of this world, for materialism, living for yourself. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you do that? Well, we've already talked about that. And so that gives us the ability not to worry. The pagans run after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows about your needs. And quite frankly, here I am standing. I am at the ripe old age of 23. And let me tell you, all those years, a few more decades than 23, God's looked after us somehow. And so we're reminded, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But let's understand where the blessing is, and the blessing is, and this is the parable of the sheep and the goats. I think I want to be on the sheep side. How about you? And we have this remarkable insight. How does the Lord distinguish and so we have in verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come who, you who are blessed by my father. Did you see the word blessed again? Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. All things that are within our reach, right? And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you in this condition? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we do these things, Acts of blessing, we are actually serving Jesus. Do we get that? Okay? And that's what transforms it and makes it something more than that simple act. Because God weaves it into something better and greater and good. Now, you've been introduced to the way of Jesus. And so how do we serve Jesus? Really, these seven sayings have everything to do with living our lives in service for Jesus. It begins with our, uh, our following him. And I'm not going to read them now. You've seen them many times. They're in your bulletin insert. You have the insert, but not the bulletin this week. <laughs> but I also want to make this a little opportunity to invite you to an opportunity that's, that's coming up a little bit later this fall. We're going to do this presentation of the way of Jesus in three weekend sessions, Friday evening, Saturday. Here are a few of the testimonials for the, some of those who took it last time. That the way of Jesus is, gave me a stronger sense of purpose through the memorization of the seven sayings. That I was more intensely blessing others and had a greater awareness of seeing the blessings in my life and in the lives of others. Sounds good, right? A greater ability to actually apply the seven ways of Jesus in my daily life, in my job, with my children slash family. Sounds very practical. 
And another one became aware of the importance of not reacting without pausing and repeating saying number three. What's saying number three? I am learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. Boy, that's one that we really ought to hang on to, don't you think? The importance in having small, close group of following friends be able to be accountable to and to decompress. You see, in the course of our training, what we do is we practice D-cell. We practice small group because we need each other on this journey. And that's so valuable. So if you're feeling disconnected, you've had an invitation to take part in uh, life groups. That's good. That's an opportunity. This way of Jesus training will uh, deepen your understanding of the value of those kinds of relationships. And understand, life is about loving relationships, right? It really is. And another one said, learning to be more disciplined in my reading of the Word and memorization of Scripture. Sounds good to me. Many more. But just a little sample, okay? Then giving you a really practical way to move ahead in your serving Jesus. Sign-up sheets on the back, and you have the opportunity. So I go back to this slide. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the way to anchor your good service so that it counts forever. Do you understand that? It counts forever. Even the little kind deed that you do, offering it to Jesus, even struggling through that kid who's thrown up through the night. Ever been there? Oh, I got stories. <laughs> Being covered with barf head to foot. <laughs> That's our number two son who did that. Yes, not the bath I wanted. Okay, offering to Jesus, and it becomes something better than a single deed of getting through it. And so we are on this journey that begins with serving Jesus and leads to serving others. Does that make sense to you? And we have the privilege of doing it together. Together. In small groups, in small clusters, as a larger body, as Huron Chapel that's been planted in this part of Ontario to make a difference. But we will only do it if we embrace the posture of Jesus who humbled himself and who showed us the best way. Can we do that? Can we take another step forward in that? And understand that I'm not saying you aren't doing that because I know I've been blessed by so many of you who demonstrate that servant spirit. But if you're like me, you need encouragement to get back on track and to stay on track and to take another step forward. And so that's what we're talking about. Just getting on with the blessing. Now next week, I'm going to be speaking about serving Jesus and being an elder. There's been a real reluctance to have folk step up for this. We'll do some teaching on it. And we're also going to say, here's an opportunity to serve Jesus in a very particular and important way in the life of this congregation. But we'll teach from the scriptures. 
And you can argue with me all you like, but can you argue with the Word of God? I don't think so. But right now, I want to know what is God saying to you? And how, Lord, are you calling me to serve you in my home, my neighborhood, at work, at school, as part of Huron Chapel? And I believe that our prayer is, Lord, make me a blessing. And I know that I am on the road to blessing. Shall we pray? Thank you, O Lord, for loving us so much that you have not only transacted something for us, but that you've elevated us to be part of the ministry team, part of the servants who not only glorify you, but also multiply that blessing in the lives of others. And thank you, O Lord, how you uh, change even our service in the mundane things of life into sacred opportunities to bring honor to your name. Lord, if you can expect that a slave can do this in this uh, unwanted role, surely, Lord, we who have some freedom to decide are able to offer whatever it is that you've given for us to do and to make of it an offering to you by which you will be glorified and others will be blessed. Thanks, the Lord, for being with us this morning. May your word find a ready place in our hearts. Amen.